is maybe from a different angle. I believe that scripture talks about this concept of maximizing literally everywhere, everywhere in the Bible. Maximizing. But maximizing what? I've got a a sentence for you. I'm not going to finish the sentence, and I want you to finish it. I'll throw in a few suggestions, but I want you to finish it. Here's Romans chapter 5. And in Romans chapter 5, the very end of verse 2, it says, And we rejoice in the hope of the glory. We would receive all of the glory. Everything in your life, in my life, in all of creation's focus is the glory of God. Secondly, Turn with me now to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. (laughs) Paul here is talking about that day in which he will put off. Suddenly, our lives can be snuffed out like this. We are tempted and we're led astray. Sin becomes an addiction for us that we need to be rescued from. And that is the gospel, how God accomplished that, to rescue us from our sin. We were created for heaven. We were created to reflect his glory. And then the verse goes on, and it's in 2 Corinthians 5, 5. Now, it is God who has made us for this very purpose and has given us the Spirit as a deposit guaranteeing what is to come. So all that we're going to talk about this morning in reflecting and giving God glory is going to be found by His Spirit doing something in us. It is not because you've read the best-selling self-help book at Barnes & Noble. It is not because you listen to this profound teaching from a philosophy professor and you discovered your purpose in life. It is because the Holy Spirit is working in you to accomplish this one goal, to bring glory to God. So now with those two preliminary statements, concepts laid down, we've got to ask this question, why would God create you with the intention of spending eternity with him, but knowing this, that sin would corrupt his creation, that you would stumble into sin. And not only that you would stumble into sin, but that you would be separated in your relationship with God. Now, I am so grateful to Jesus Christ that age 14, God bridged that gap in my life And so that this estrangement that I had with God, that chasm was fixed and bridged by what Christ did for me on the cross. And he reached out to me by his grace and I responded in faith and God gave something very precious to me, his Holy Spirit, which regenerated me, which justified me, which sanctified me, which which changed my life so that the old me was dead and buried and God did something marvelous in resurrecting in me new life and made me a new creation. And now I am on this journey until that day that I die and I get to spend eternity with him. And that is what I want us to talk about. Now, God, he created the angels. 
He could have been satisfied with that. Why would he want to create man? And not just man, but sinful man or man that would eventually sin. You know, God creating man was not plan B. God didn't create the angels, and then Satan or Lucifer rebelled, and God said, ah, nuts. Sin entered my creation. I'm going to need to create something. Let's see, Jesus, Holy Spirit, and this triune communion here. What do we do now? Let's switch to a plan B. And the Holy Spirit, or Jesus, Holy Spirit says, we can create man. And the Father may have asked, but what if they stumble into sin? And Jesus says, I got a great idea. It didn't happen this way. There was no plan. It was not, man's creation was not a plan B. When, man, when God created man, he knew that man would stumble into sin. He knew this. So why would he create us? And as we search the scriptures from Genesis to Revelation, we come down to this statement. That God created us for this very purpose, knowing that we would stumble into sin, that we would be redeemed. You see, angels cannot be redeemed. Satan, we'll never see Satan in heaven. We'll never see any fallen angels in heaven. They are in a reserved place, 2 Peter 2, 4 tells us, awaiting judgment. There is no chance of redemption for them. There is chance, a chance of redemption for us being made in the image of God. And Jesus, when he came down, he did not take on the appearance of an angel. He was not both an angel and God. He was man and God. And thereby became that perfect sacrifice for you and me. And so we enter now by faith into what people call redemptive history. That is, we now, in this life, live through it, walk through it, struggle with it even, in this idea of being redeemed. We have been purchased by God, and he is doing something in us. And I'm going to suggest to you that sufferings, not just the joys of life and childbirth and that job promotion that you recently got and your son or daughter receiving top honors as the valedictorian of your high school. We're talking about sufferings. And we rejoice in these sufferings because they play this integral part of what God is trying to do in us as his redeemed and through us to do what? To maximize his glory. Every struggle that you have been through in life looks to that ultimate purpose, to maximize his glory. Now, we would step back and say, wait, 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 so, okay, I mean, my life is all about him, but what is in it for me? Do I just kind of bite the bullet and just say, oh, well, Life really stinks. I'll just bite the bullet and hopefully I'll make it to the end. Here is the thing. Here's the thing, church. Because of sin, and I'm going to suggest we see this in all of these self-help books that's going to make you a better you, a, a better version of, I like that one, <laughs> a better version of yourself. Mike Curtis, 2.0, love that one. 
It's all because of the fall. We now are so self-absorbed. It's all about me. How many of you parents would disagree with that? You've held that little one in your arms, and guess what? The world was all about who? You getting enough sleep at night? Not. Uh, you being able to wake up cheerfully in the morning because you got plenty of sleep, and you and your spouse are going to be able to spend a quiet evening together? I don't think so. It is all about that little fella you're holding in your arms that you just love so much, it's all about him. And you're okay with that. It, okay, at least for the most part. But that little one, because he is born in Adam, it is all about him. And when we grow up, it still is all about me, isn't it? Even when we come to Christ's church, because the society is steeped in me, in self-absorption, we still think that life as a Christian is all about me. Okay, God, I'm going to serve you, but what's in it for me? And I'm going to suggest to you that, the per that you have been actually wired by God, sin distorted that, but you were wired by God so that your life would be sold out totally and lived for completely God himself, because you can't handle the praise of men, because you can't handle God's applause, because you can't handle success and life being all about you. You can't handle that. And so God wired us so that all of life's purpose and focus is him. And the less it is about me and the more about him, we are going to reflect his glory and accomplish his purpose. Now, here's the cool thing. Because that is the way you were wired when you came to Christ and the old man is set aside and God is be, he's renewing you in the knowledge of the image of his creator, it says in Colossians 3. You're getting a right perspective of life and God himself. You discover this awesome truth. That the more I live for God and the less I live for me, get a load of this, I find true joy. I find true fulfillment in life. I find true satisfaction in God's plan for my life, even though it's filled with suffering. Your fulfillment. And satisfaction is wrapped up in his glory. Now, this is something that we can hear, and, and I'm just going to suggest to you that the truths that we're going to discover in God's word this morning, that you just think about this more and more and more. Just ponder. Take down a few notes, maybe a few statements that stick out to you this morning. Write them down, and this week, just ponder some of that. You know, I, I, I like reading John Maxwell, I do. One of my favorite authors. I like the way he writes, I like the subjects. And this is what I was challenged by in one of his books, I can't even remember which one, but it says, before you read this book, you want to make sure that you do not read more than one chapter a day. Since I was a slow reader, I said, no problem. I doubt I'll be able to read two. Um, but there was a reason. And, and the man who was saying this was a CEO of some company. 
And he said this. He said, because when I read this a chapter from John Maxwell, I've got to think about it, and I've got to see it worked out. And sometimes I read only one chapter a week because I want to. I, I got to see it. I got to see how it works out in my life. I got to see what do I really need to change. Because if I don't do this, it's just going to be ba 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 ba. Great talk. Love the stories, John. Not relatable. We see it is. And so I'm going to encourage you, take some of these shoes, write them down, think about them, and just say, okay, how is this going to change my life? Because to this morning, we're talking about perspective on how you live your life. Give me just a moment here as I'm finding my place here. So everything then in life has our focus, the glory of God. The devil himself can only play into God's hands, into God's plan A, not plan B. God has no plan B. God has a plan A, and that's it. And you're a part of that plan. And even what Satan does in your life can maximize God's glory. So what is this ultimate purpose of God in this plan A? It's that through man's sin, his redemption by the cross, his walking through the tough stuff of life that challenges to them to the very core of his being, he has the opportunity, the opportunity to maximize God's glory. And so for this reason, we rejoice. Look, look at now with me. Go back to the book of Acts, you go to left, back to the book of Acts, chapter 5. If you're struggling with this, if you're, wow, I'm supposed to rejoice in sufferings, and I'm seeing this picture of how sufferings begin to play a part into God's plan. You mean suffering is not a, uh, just one of those uh, unfortunate coincidences in God's plan, and he's just trying to make the best of it? Absolutely not. Because sin did not take God by surprise. He did not, on the day that Adam fell, say, whoa, Trinity, what do we do now? And Jesus said, I got a plan. It didn't happen that way. And so, here's, a, here's an awesome example in Acts chapter 5, in which the disciples have been preaching in the name of Jesus. And they are brought, they're arrested and brought before the Sanhedrin, generally 70 Jewish elders, supposed to be wise, learned men in the scriptures, and they are the ruling, the judging court. They're brought, Peter and John are brought before them, or the, the, the apostles, rather, are brought before them, and they're tried. <laughs> and instead of killing them, Gamaliel steps in, gives his reasoning for why they shouldn't, and this is what they do, verse 40. His speech, that is Gamaliel's speech, one of the men of the Sanhedrin, his speech persuaded them. They called the apostles in and had them flogged. I don't want to just pass over that lightly. To be flogged was very serious. It laid your back open. It was torture. 
Whatever you did to get flogged, you most certainly do not want to do it again, or at least if you do, don't get caught. They were flogged. Then they ordered them not to speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. So having their backs filleted, told not to preach in this name of Jesus, what idiot would go out and start preaching in the name of Jesus? You're just gonna, it's going to happen all over again. But it says in verse 41, the apostles left the Sanhedrin so discouraged, so downhearted, grumbling, complaining, wondering why, why, why. No, it actually says the apostles left the Sanhedrin, what church? Rejoicing. Rejoicing because they had been counted worthy of suffering disgrace for the name. Well, I'm tempted to just launch into that one. The name. That's, that's a phrase found in the Old Testament. The name. That, that, that refers to Yahweh. God himself. But who's he talking about here? The name. Look in the, ver the verse just before. The name of Jesus. And they, well, God, you allowed me. I am privileged to suffer for you. Privileged. To suffer disgrace for the name day after day. So what did they do? Day after day in the temple courts and from house to house, they never stopped teaching and proclaiming the good news that Jesus is the Christ. What? Because they were so filled with joy. Their goal was not this level of comfort for the rest of their life. Well, I'm going to ask Jesus into my heart. I heard the televangelist tell me the other day when I asked Jesus in my heart, you ask Jesus into your heart, and you know what? He is going to bring joy and peace and love into your life, and he is going to make everything right again. And I'm not saying that Jesus can't do that, but that's just a one-sided perspective. Jesus, God himself, speaking through the apostle Paul, guarantees us suffering and that the suffering that we go through brings him glory but it brings him glory in how we deal with it because we rejoice in suffering because you know that suffering produces perseverance and that per uh, perseverance produces character do you know what character is some of your translations i think like the nasb says proven character. The Greek word literally translated simply means proven. You see, character, when I say that John Anderkin is a loving young man, it's not because one day I saw him do something loving, though I have done that, but because I consistently see it, and I did, by the way. Sorry. Consistently, it's proven over and over. I've seen it happen. That is character. That's what suffering does. It doesn't just prompt you to do one act of kindness or to be patient and not grumble one time, but that becomes who you are. And God does this through suffering, which then pr pr produces hope in me. Hope for what? For the glory of God. Now, I want to give you an illustration here, and I think the illustration, and I've used it in the past, but I want, to, I want to highlight it again and add a little bit to it. I think it's going to help us understand the place of suffering. And it is this concept of God's divine tapestry in our life. 
you are that tapestry. He is weaving this tapestry together. And on the underside where all the cuts and ties are made, if you've ever seen like a quilt that hangs on the wall on the reverse side, oh my goodness. If that's all that you ever saw, you would look at the person who did it and said, wow, better luck next time, huh? You made a lot of mistakes here. And it's because you're looking at the wrong side. And then when they turn it around, it's like, whoa, that is awesome. But you notice something in your tapestry that this divine tapestry maker, Jesus himself, who created you, who you are his workmanship, his tapestry, if you will, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which he prepared in advance for us to do, Ephesians 2.10. And he is creating this tapestry in your life. And you notice something. There is this ugly, light gray thread. He keeps using it throughout the tapestry. Light gray. Is anybody here? Maybe I shouldn't ask. <laughs> Not too many people like light gray. But as they're, they're working this light gray thread, I mean, it looks terrible. But then we get to see the reverse side. Turn in your Bibles to Romans chapter 8. And Paul talks about this opportunity to see the reverse side, the side we're supposed to see, of this tapestry of your life and what it looks like. In Romans 8, we left off two weeks ago, verse 17, we'll pick it up there. Now, if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. If indeed we share in his sufferings, that actually means co-sharers, sharers with. If indeed we share in his sufferings, in order that we may also share in his glory. I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. I'm going to just pause right there. That, that phrase revealed in us is more literally translated revealed to us, and some of your translations reflect that. So what Paul is saying is this. God, through sufferings, is working in you so that you are reflecting more and more God's glory, which is the radiance of his perfections, that light from the sun. You then would be like the moon, if I can continue with that illustration, and the moon has no glory in itself or, or, or ability to radiate light of its own. It has no light of its own. It simply reflects the light of the sun. And that's you and me. We are reflecting God's glory in that way. God's love, but not just his love, but the perfections of that love. Limitless in us because of the spirit. His joy his peace, his patience, his goodness, his kindness, his humility, self-control, all of these things. And now we are reflecting those more and more. And when we come to the end of our life and we get to experience God's presence, the very thing, remember, that he created us for, it says right here, 
that the present sufferings that we're going to, the sufferings that we experienced on earth are not worth comparing with the glory that is the coming glory that's going to be revealed to us. And so when you're in heaven, God is going to turn that tapestry around and that ugly gray thread that you saw, you begin to realize. Literally, that's the silver lining. And it's around every object or event, picture, in this tapestry. And it causes that tapestry to look 3D. And you look at it and you say, oh my goodness, that is amazing. And you, you don't want to stop looking away. And that is the glory of God that he has produced in your life. That you don't, you, you maybe see a little bit in this life. But in that day, he's going to show you, this is my glory. And he, the word reveal means to unveil. He's going to unveil this glory that he has been working in you on that day. And you're going to step back and you're going to say, God, that is my life. He's going to say, yes. You know, all those hard times that you went through, that is what I was producing. Whoa. That is amazing, God. Have you ever been through such a hard trial in your life? And when it was over, Praise God, it was over. You began to see some of those incredible things God actually did in your life. Maybe strengthening your faith, believing that God will provide for your every need. And when we went through those eight months in which we were short every single month, and God did 12 miracles, 12 things, totally out of blue. He's, he, he hadn't done before, and he hasn't done since 12 things. I realized. Even at the end of some of those months when Mike was working with me and I would share, Mike, here we go again, you know. God's going to have to provide. We're on the, the, the dealership lot. I, we need to make double, dude. We need to make double what we have been doing. And, and, and I don't know how God's going to do that. We just walked the lot and there was like one or two vehicles. That's it. That's not going to come near enough. And Mike looked at me and says, but Mike, now you've been telling me this. Uh, all these different stories that God has done in your life. And I don't know, maybe God wants to show how awesome he is again. And so we said, okay, then let's pray. So we show the, the measly little bit of work to the used car manager, and he says, okay, yeah, but didn't you see those two cars in the drive-thru? I mean, all of this kind of work needs to be under both cars. And when, you, when I went out there and wrote it up, it was exactly what we needed for that month. You see, God does these things, and he puts our backs to the wall to strengthen our faith, and he says, can you trust me? I, I mean, can you really trust me? Can you take your eyes off of your circumstances and how difficult they are and wondering, God, this is just impossible. Why, why, why? And can you just trust me? You see, I'm weaving this light gray thread that you don't think is too attractive right now into your life. But if you can just wait, and when you get there and you get to see the full tapestry, it's going to blow you away. Because God in redemptive history that you're playing a part is doing something that is so amazing, it will impact your forever through these sufferings. 
That's how important they are. That's why we need to have God's focus as we go through this life. Because we live in a fallen world, and guess what, church? That's not going to change until Jesus comes back. That could be tomorrow, or that could be hundreds or thousands of years from now. We don't know. But between now and the end of my life, I will pursue God's glory. Regardless. Because it is all about God, and it is not about me. And my prayer is, God, build this in me. Because one day you're going to reveal it. You're going to unveil this tapestry to me. And I want to see all of your glories and perfections, at least some way seen in that tapestry. Your awesome workmanship seen in how you wove this together in my life. So God, get rid of this complaining attitude and and this anger that I have towards you right now because that will not accomplish that then. And every single one of us, you know, if you think you're going through a hard time right now, it's, you know, it's so easy to say, wow, you know what, God, why is my life so much harder than his or hers? Have you ever asked that question with God before? Can I tell you? I have as well. I have as well. And it is during those times in which God is calling me to rejoice, God is doing something in my life so that I can reflect his glory. Do you remember I said that our goal is to both reflect God's glory and deflect man's glory? That is, when people see Christ and his glory in me and they begin to praise me, I deflect that to God. Because I am here, and I am what I am, not because of me and my ability to pull myself up by the bootstraps or get a handle on life, but is for this one reason, because of the deposit of the Spirit in me that enables and empowers me to do this, to rejoice in my sufferings and allow God's glory to be reflected in me. Thank you, God, that you did this, but I receive no credit at all. So thank you for the compliment, but you know what? You should have seen me a year ago. Thank you for the compliment, but you know what? Jesus Christ has done this in my life. And man, over and over I have seen how very weak I am, and yet in my weakness, how very strong he is. Amen, church. And this is what Paul mentions to us in 2 Corinthians 11. He says, in my weakness, his strength is made perfect. Paul was praying over and over, God, what about this? What about this? these issues in my life? It's, it's, it's like I am, I've got this big bullseye on my back, and Satan is trying so hard to take me down. Three shipwrecks, and he hadn't experienced the Acts 27 shipwreck yet three shipwrecks that he'd been through, a day and a night in a sea. I have no clue what that, what that would be like. I hate deep water, by the way, and darkness. I, those two things, man, do they really unsettle me. I would hate being a night and a day out in the open sea. Paul lived this way throughout his life. And he saw that God's grace was more than enough. And so 
as we go through this life, God is doing this amazing thing in us that, turn with me now to 2 Corinthians. Chapter 3, verse 18. In 2 Corinthians 3, 18, he says, And we who with unveiled faces all reflect the Lord's glory are being transformed into his likeness with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. The Spirit of God is doing this in me. And in me, my countenance, my life itself, it is reflecting his glory. And it says ever-increasing glory. As maybe some of your translations from glory to glory to glory to glory to glory. God is doing this in me. And he uses this term glorified. We saw that in Romans 8, 17. I think in the NIV it uses the noun glory. But it's really the verb glorified. We are being glorified. Now, glorified means two different things. Glorified meaning reflecting his glory, but it can also mean praise, like you glorify God, meaning you praise him. And I'm not talking about that second definition, but the first one, God producing his glory or revealing his glory in me. That is you and me being glorified. And so that's what he's talking about here. God is doing this amazing work in us. So as a result, in James 1, verse 2, it says, Consider it pure joy, my brothers, whenever you face trials of many kinds. God is doing something awesome in your tapestry. And in 2 Corinthians, you just turn the page to the right, 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 16 through 18. Therefore, we do not lose heart, though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far away is the most. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. For what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. Paul's light and momentary trials, difficulties, he just listed some of those for us that I didn't read. So go back with me in verse 8. We are hard-pressed on every side, but not crushed. Trying to look at the positive side here. Perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted. He was stoned and taken up for dead. Now, I don't know if you've ever been, no, not that kind of stoned, no. But in which people hit you with stones, that kind of stone. I've never had stones thrown to the point where I become unconscious. I've never had that happen to me. I would hate for that to happen. That means they're hitting you in the head. You get the picture here. He was persecuted, but not abandoned. That is by God. Struck down, but not destroyed. We are always carrying around in our body the death of Jesus. So that the life of Jesus may also be revealed in our body. For we who are alive are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake so that his life may be revealed in our mortal body. This is beyond me, church. I, I, Paul has suffered so much more than I have. And I'm going to venture to say with some truth here that he has suffered far more than any of you here. 
but his perspective, these are light and momentary struggles. Light and momentary troubles. But what is God doing? He's producing a glory in us. In which maybe at the time, you wouldn't say, wow, I'm so glad I get to go through this suffering and these trials. And uh, I, you know, God, bring it on. <laughs> no. We, we, we do our best to rejoice. But then, when it's all said and done, and we see what God has produced, we would say, you know what? I would go through that trial again if I had to, so that God would produce this. I wouldn't have given that up. Suffering, troubles, hardship, trials. They're producing something in us. And I want us to close on this psalm, and it's actually Psalm 131. Someone sent me a text, I think, this past week, and I had just read this psalm. I believe it was that morning or the morning before. Psalm 131. They sent this to me in a text. It's probably May. I don't know. Can't remember. Sorry. Psalm 131. Short psalm. Only three verses. It says a psalm of David, and he says this, My heart is not proud, O Lord. My eyes are not haughty. I do not concern myself with great matters or things too wonderful for me. Does that mean he doesn't like science? He doesn't like to plunder the depths of the knowledge of the universe or the depths of the oceans. And maybe his son Solomon, who was into all that kind of stuff, would have written something different. He, th those aren't the things that are too wonderful for him that he's talking about. He's talking about not the... The stuff of life, the, the, the knowledge of science, but the stuff of life. The stuff that happens in your life, like a king pursuing you to kill you for literally no reason whatsoever. That was David's life. He was called a conspirator when all he did was uphold King, David's, uh, king Saul's throne. Why me, God? Why me? I don't understand why these difficulties happened in my life. Why my oldest son rebelled and my, one of my younger sons actually ended up killing him. This is out of control, God. What is going on? Where are you in all of this? But he says here, do you see these why questions? They're, they're too deep. See, the revealed things belong to us. Excuse me, the, the secret things belong to the Lord, but the revealed things belong to us. And there are some things in your life with regard to suffering, God is going to choose not to reveal to you. And you will not know why until you get there. And David says, you know what? My heart's not proud. I don't need to know the answers to all the why questions. He says, but I have stilled and quieted my soul like a weaned child with its mother. Like a weaned child is my soul within me. Oh, Israel, put your hope in the Lord, both now and forevermore. 
David, I think, had a glimpse of this understanding that everything that he went through in life was not something in which God was saying, oh, that happened, didn't expect that, plan G now, plan whatever. No, this is all plan A, and it is a perfect plan. And God is working it out in your life. And he is doing that for his glory. You know, I can remember when Kate was three years old. She was sitting atop a 12-year-old girl's shoulders as they were crossing Atlantic Avenue to get to uh, Virginia Beach, uh, Virginia Beach, Virginia. My wife and she had gone to the beach that day girl by the name of Delia was helping out. She, Delia had put Kate on her shoulder, and they were crossing. Meredith was a little bit slower. She was pregnant with Juliana, and the two got ahead of her, and all of a sudden, she heard the screeching of tires to her right and a car sliding past her as Kate and Delia stepped on the curb side. But as the car, as the truck slid past them, saw them both lying on the ground. My daughter had been hit by a truck. I got a call that day as I was working on a paper on finals week while I was in seminary. And my heart raced a thousand miles an hour. And I'm praying in the spirit and I am crying out to God, literally crying. As I'm rushing to this hospital that she is taken to and Delia as well. <clears throat> my daughter was okay. One stitch in her mouth that came out that night. One stitch, that was it. God did a miracle in Delia's life and the complications that she had literally did a miracle. But since that day, you notice when Kate was only four or five, I was still in seminary at the time, and she would be walking, and I can still remember this scene, I have her by the hand, and she, and she lets go of mine, and there is a helicopter that goes overhead. It's pretty loud. And she just starts running over here, and then running over here. It, she can't get away from this helicopter. And here is my little girl, and she feels like she's being attacked. She just hears this loud noise, like the loud noise of the truck's tire squealing. And she is filled with panic running here and there, kind of like a squirrel darting across the road. You know what I'm talking about? Come on, squirrel, make up your mind. Which way do you want to go? And Kate, she's dashing here and dashing there, and I just held on to her when I finally caught her and said, sweetie, it is going to be okay, Daddy Hashing. And she's crying. And then within the year, we go to July 4th fireworks on this huge hill. We're all, you know, we're taking the uh, blankets laying down, and we're laying down on these blankets, and the Fireworks start going off, and Katie Bass is terrified. The noises, I'm holding her. She's burying her face in my chest, and I'm trying to help her calm down, and she is inconsolable. And it is because of this truck accident. And I'm wondering, God, why did you allow this? What is this indicative? What's going to happen with my girl? Every little noise she is afraid of. What's she going to look like in 10 years? And we just began to pray over her. And I just want to say to you that God took care of that. 
But when she was four or five, God, where are you right now? This, this accident wasn't even her fault, and look what it's done to her. We go through tragedy. Sometimes we get a picture of why, but sometimes we do not. And sometimes we get just a little bit of a picture of the why. That's it. The injustice of nature, and that's how I'm going to word this. We live in a fallen world. The injustice of nature took one of our children, Billy Jeffers' child, Mike Jeffers' child, a month ago. What a difficult tragedy. How easy to say, okay, God, this is suffering, and I know I'm supposed to rejoice in it, but how is this going to bring you glory? And I don't have an answer for that. But I do know this, that that Sunday morning, following what happened with Sarah, Sarah was down on her knees, weeping and yet worshiping God with such joy and love for him. I heard so many of you, a lot from my family, because I go home and this is the stuff my family talks about, things that God did in the service. And they said, wow, Dad, I was so touched today. Really? Like, I'm, is the sermon really good or something? Great. Sorry, Dad, no. <laughs> but when I saw Sarah Jeffers kneeling down and just worshiping God with all of her heart, hands lifted up on her knees, ah, that just undid me. What a woman of God. Job said, Naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked I shall return. Blessed be the Lord. In my moment of suffering and trial, God, I don't have to know why. But I am just asking, would you produce your glory in my life through this trial? Would you settle my soul like a weaned child? Would you speak your peace over me? And in the midst of this storm, God, may you receive glory and praise. Because that is what my whole life is about. Will you stand with me? used a phrase this morning, redemptive history. And the focal point of that redemptive history is the cross in which I will say that event was the hinge of history. Past and future. When I have been in heaven 10,000 years, I will only be, become more amazed by the cross. Because in God's plan A, Mike Curtis was totally lost in his sin. And God saw fit 
lavish me with his grace. To buy me as his own child and adopt me into his family to be his very own and change me. And now and forever, I will always look back to that event. I didn't have an opportunity to witness it with my own eyes. I just got an opportunity to see what it did in me. And so I'm going to encourage you as we close in prayer. All of this talk that we have, we're, we're, that's going on this morning about God's glory, it all points back to the cross and what it is doing in you to reflect that glory. So Father, I, I do ask that as our hearts are humbled this morning, you're inviting us to see things from your perspective and even rejoice in our sufferings, God. We are here to confess to you, God, how hard and difficult that is and how that struggles against our very nature, our old man anyway, and, and, and we are seeking <clears throat> to, to grab a hold of this truth in our new man and live it out. But God, it's hard. I'm just asking today, God, would you put that deposit of truth in every single one of our hearts and see that truth from your perspective? And where our hearts are unsettled, where maybe we're frustrated with you, we, maybe we're questioning your goodness, Maybe we're asking the why question over and over. And the when question, when is this ever going to stop? And in the midst of that difficulty, God, speak peace. And still 